welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up. It's working. Time for a retro perspective. Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, the show on the Nerd Party where we take a look at all the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we're going to be taking a look at the movies released on February 25th, 1994. Yes, indeed. February 25th, 1994. We're we're closing out the month of February. We're two months through and we had optimistic projections last week. We, we, we felt we were starting to come out of the storm, and we're going to find out how the seas are as February closes out this week. Yes, yes. Yeah. There were five movies released this week. Three of them were very small, so small that they weren't even on the, the box office mojo charts, and two of them were bigger. So the first movie was Wojciech which I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Mm -hmm. It's a Polish movie. Yes. It's in black and white. Mm -hmm. I don't know much about it. Yep. Uh, And I didn't see it. Neither did I. It's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's good for that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I couldn't find a trailer online, so in the trailer lineup I put on this like clip, which I think they called a trailer, but it was like six minutes of the movie. Yeah. And uh, I, I didn't really know what was going on in it. <laughs> but that's okay. I, I will admit I made it two minutes through, through that. I was like, yeah, that's pretty decided for me. Okay. All right. Next up was a French movie, I believe, called Savage Nights. Yeah. This one seemed kind of interesting. Kind of like mm. a relationship drama. Yeah. Um, it's got 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not too terrible. Yeah, that trailer just didn't do anything for me, man. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't watch that one either. I did watch our third movie this week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Deadfall. Deadfall. Directed Deadfall. by Christopher Coppola, which I still don't know. I'm assuming that he is related to Francis Ford Coppola because half the people involved are related to Francis Ford Coppola, but... Yeah, this movie, 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yep, that's true. It stars Michael Bean. Everybody loves Michael Bean. Of Terminator and deleted scenes from Terminator 2 fame. Yes, and it stars Nicolas Cage, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. James Coburn in a major role. Yes. It has a lot of cameos by various people, including Talia Shire. Angus Scrim, Charlie Sheen shows up for a little bit. I, w- I want to put I want to put a pause there on mentioning uh, Angus Scrim because in case anybody is wondering why I got excited when I heard that name, Angus Scrim is the tall man from Phantasm. Yeah, uh, famous for his delivery of the word "boy." Yeah, I saw that movie at another horror film festival. Uh huh. What did you think of it? I thought it was pretty bad. It is pretty bad, and yet J.J. Abrams used his, uh, 
sizable sway to get a 4K remaster of that one done. So that seems yeah. like a good way to spend resources. Well, I mean, but it's, I mean, did you hear about how he did that? It's not like he was like, here, here's a bunch of money, go do it. Yeah. Like he did it himself. He would like call up the director and be like, hey, you free tomorrow? Come down to Bad Robot and we'll get to restoring some of your movie. And then, you know, he'd go off and make a Star Wars movie and then like a couple years later be like, hey, you free this weekend? Let's go restore <laughs> some more of uh, Phantasm. Mm. And like he just, mm. they, they so it wasn't like they were, you know, he just gave his time whenever he was free. That was like his, his, his hobby. That was his version of podcasting was restoring Phantasm. Don't don't rob my joy of criticizing the decision to remaster Phantasm, Mike. Okay. Don't All take right. that away from me. Because <laughs> right. listen, Fan- Phantasm is a beloved cult classic. I acknowledge that. But man, that movie is terrible. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, yeah. at this, this film festival, this marathon, this horror marathon that I was at, it was like, okay, we're going to be showing this and that and that everything. They showed like Night of the Living Dead. They showed Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, the... What's the one with the vampires living next door? Oh, um, uh, Fright Night. Fright Night. They show that. Yeah. And they're like, we're going to end it with like the new restoration of Phantasm and then like the theatrical premiere of like Phantasm 5 Ravager or whatever. It was the new one. Mm. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Because <laughs> I haven't seen I, I haven't seen any of them, but I will have seen one, but I won't have seen two, three, or four. But, I mean, what I did was... I watched one and then I went home because I didn't want to watch number five. Sorry, guys. Number one was enough for me. I'd say you made the wisest choice in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Deadfall. Uh, This movie, yes, directed by Christopher Coppola. And hey, here's an interesting thing, which I didn't realize until I was watching the movie and the credits started rolling. Rolling. Written by Christopher Coppola and Nick Vallelonga, his very first writing credit. The guy who, um, well, as we speak, is probably winning uh, a Writers Guild Award for writing Green Book. What? (laughs) Everybody's got to start somewhere. I haven't seen Green Book, so I can certainly hope that Green Book is a more cohesive script as a starting point for the film than yes. this was. Yes. And and I think he was working on Green Book for years and years and years. And the fact that he had Peter Farrelly working with him too. I mean, that guy's written some good scripts and everything like yeah. that True. over the year. So it just makes sense. And, you know, as much as, you know, Green Book has sort of become like a thing to beat up on, like I did enjoy Green Book quite a, a bit. I mean, yes, I understand how some people... Um, can see it as being problematic and everything. I don't quite share that opinion, but uh, I, I I understand it. But I do think it's good. I mean, it, I, I I think that it's well written and everything like that. And I mean, it is interesting that like that because you know the whole thing is about his dad and stuff, and mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. So uh, yes, possibly. Academy Award winner Nick Vellalonga got his start but by the time this comes out. It's quite possible that he won an Oscar yesterday. 
Um, yeah, um, that is possible. Twenty-five uh, years ago, almost to the day that that Deadfall, that his first movie, <laughs> Deadfall, comes out, he wins an Oscar. So, well, I, I, I've been dying to ask because I think we both knew that we were going to see Deadfall yeah. because as soon as you see zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes, you, you that little antenna goes up. And you say, "Oh, really? <laughs> Challenge accepted." <laughs> so I gotta ask, get. You give me a breakdown of this movie. How would you describe this to someone? I would say it's like House of Games only. It's like House of Games if the cast was like all of the best actors of the 90s in a movie where they all acted with the same level of skill as the performances which you would find in something like The Room. It's funny because my description also involved The Room, where I said, imagine a Tommy Wiseau script, but with name actors. But also Tommy Wiseau direction, you know? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Very much so. Like you see like Michael Bean. Oh, Peter Fonda's in it too. Hey. Yes. Hey, Mickey Dolan's. Don't forget Mickey Dolan's is in it. It's like... What is going on? And you know, and, and I'm I'm pretty sure because I remember like one line in particular. Like I'm pretty sure that I've seen or at least heard some clips with of Nicolas Cage's performance. I know, like <laughs> on on Kevin Smith's podcast, Hollywood Babylon, they always do this thing called exquisite acting, where they oh. have clips from like you know famous <laughs> actors and less than good performances, and they always have Nicolas Cage on there. And I'm sure they've had this. But yeah, this is this is a Nicolas Cage performance with absolutely no restrictions placed on him by the director. Like an actor's job, as I see it, is to come in with as much boundless enthusiasm and energy and original thinking to bring to your character, especially if you're talking about somebody who's like a drug addicted hitman for the mob. And then it's the director's job to say, great starting point but we need to do X, Y, and Z, so we're going to maybe scale that back a little bit. This very much instead is just Nicolas Cage walked on set and said, this is what I'm doing, and Christopher Coppola said, sure, okay, you do that. (laughs) But see, here's the thing. like, If I was in Christopher Coppola's shoes and Nicolas Cage said, "Like this is what I'm doing, like even if it would potentially, let's say, ruin the movie, I'd be like, yes. (laughs) yes let's do this because this is going to be one of the most amazing things in the history of cinema Uh, yes i i will say that the one thing that is a positive to come out of this movie is i will never forget nicholas cage's performance (laughs) i will never forget this role for the rest of my life it is i mean he's known for things i mean there's the whole thing that you know there's kick ass where you know yeah He's yeah, like, oh, yes. take cover, child, and switch to kryptonite. You know, there's that. There's yep. the bees, obviously, from the Wicker Man. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, like all of Face Off. You know, I mean, there's yes. like tons and tons and tons of crazy Nicolas Cage performances, right? Yes, there are. But I'm fairly certain this is the craziest. <laughs> I, I have to side with you on that one. It, it absolutely is. 
like I was watching it and, and I have a friend, uh, this guy I used to work with and like the, the kick-ass thing, like the two of us would just like watch that again and again and again and just like laugh our butts off because it was so funny. And we've sort of like become like, we've bonded over our love of Nicolas Cage's insane performances. And like I was watching it and there's like the thing towards the beginning where like he takes some pills and then, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, you got to see this. And then like I found like on YouTube, they have a collection of like seven minutes of like the best scenes of of Nicolas Cage in this movie. And I, I sent that to him because I'm just like, my God, this is insane. And you know, it's also insane when you think that one year later, just one year later, mm-hmm. he won the Oscar for yeah. leaving Las Vegas. Deservedly so at that. Yeah. 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 Oh god, I love him so much. He's so yeah. great. It's uh yeah, he's got a wide range and he fully commits to every performance. So, you know, this, this is, is I, this is his top. He found his top here, I think. Yeah. I I I can honestly say that it's worth the $4 to rent it just to witness the performance. The rest of the movie, I think is just an absolute train wreck of a mess but that performance is worth the price of admission i mean but it but it's it's like as bad as this movie is like it is a lot of fun to watch you know like i don't understand why they're not showing this at midnight everywhere you know that's a good that's a good point this would be a great midnight movie i mean it is uh it's spectacular in its inability to be coherent and it is it has this ending that is trying to be clever and it's so the opposite of clever it's just it's, it, it it makes even less sense than the rest of the movie that came before it i can't even i can't even wrap my head around the process with this especially like the it, it's obvious that there were some extreme budget limitations with this yeah and to the point where when they're on when they're in sets these types of sets that you see are it's not a a mainstream production that you're used to seeing this like not even an indie production there's a level of sort of black box theater that is apparent in this that including they go to the club you know the the, the strip club and it it looks like a PSA set from like an after-school special about not going to strip clubs or something. It's it's really that bad. Yeah, but at the same time, like I, I guess there's something about that where you know it, it's very much sort of like influenced by like film noir and stuff like that, and like that's kind of like how those things were were made too. Like the sets were always very sparse and everything. And, you know, they kept everything in shadow or whatever. And, and I mean, I, I was okay with that. And I was okay. I mean, I thought the, the look of the movie was pretty good. And it's it's really, it was, it was the story which doesn't work at all. And the direction was horrible. Yeah, right? I, I, I mean, some of the stuff, I mean, you, you can say, yeah, I, I, I mean, I get your point about, you know, film noir and everything like that and keeping in shadow. But... I think that everything was lit too well. It should have been more shadow. I can see that. Uh, Yeah. yeah. I mean, you knew just from the very first scene when James Coburn, 
like James Coburn's death was like, I'm like, okay, this is going to be, this yes. is going to be something, you know? Yeah, it really is. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, as, yeah, as much as I didn't like it, as much as I thought it was bad, it was much more enjoyable than most of the movies I've watched so far from 1994. I can honestly say that if the most difficult decision of rewatching or watching for the first time films from 1994 uh, that, that, that we're going through here, if you were to put me to the test and say, would you watch Deadfall or Cabin Boy again? I would really have a difficult time with it. I would this de- is the- no doubt I would watch Deadfall again. No doubt. I mean, you were saying that it was worth the the four dollar um, rental. I was really debating because I was like, do I rent it for four dollars or do I buy it for six dollars? And I ended <laughs> up, I'm like, I'm just going to spend the extra two dollars. Like that insurance is worth it for me, you know. So I I bought it. And I'm really glad that I did because even though I'll probably never watch the whole thing from beginning to end again, there's going to be stuff in there which I'm going back to for years. Yeah, I I guess the Cage performance does really swing it uh, in favor. And I can also say if anybody's looking out there, definitely buy it or rent it through iTunes because I had the experience of initially renting it through Amazon Prime and then when it started up, uh, I wound up having to spend 20 minutes of my evening going back. Because once you start a streaming purchase on Amazon, you can't return it anymore. Mm-hmm. However, when I started it, it was a 4 by 3 pan and scan dub, basically, of a VHS. You could actually see the tracking stuff at the top of the screen. Yeah. It literally looked like somebody put in a VHS and just transferred it to, video, to uh, digital video. And uh, I had to reach out to Amazon and say, no, this is, no, you can't do this to somebody. All right, so that was Deadfall. Uh, but yes. there were a couple more movies that came out uh, this week, which people have probably actually seen or heard of. Yeah. Um, number seven at the box office with $4.2 million was Eight Seconds. Yes. Uh, this movie has a 31% on Rotten Tomatoes. Fair. Have, have you seen it? No. I See, this is uh, something which I've always heard of. It was weird. It, like years and years and years ago, Luke Perry was at a comic book convention here in Chicago, and he was doing his little, you know, panel, and someone was like, oh, like what are some, some of your favorite, you know, performances or movies or whatever, and he's like, oh, I've done a lot of things and all this other stuff, but the one which I'm most proud of, the, you know, the only movie which, you know, I think is, you know, legit great that I've made is Eight Seconds. Mm. And, um, I, you know, I, I can't say that I've ever been a fan of bolt riding or anything like that. But when they said, you know, directed by John G. Avildsen, who did mm-hmm. Rocky and Karate Kid, I was like, oh, I, I should watch this but I have to watch Deadfall instead. Sorry. Uh, that That's okay. I actually, I watched Eight Seconds because I remember the ads for it, and I remember it being treated as Luke Perry finally breaking out of the 90210 mold. Yeah. This was going to be his transition from television to the screen. And 
you know, the, the reasoning seems sound from it's a sports movie, uh, supposed to be an inspirational tale from the director of Rocky with music by Bill Conti, who did the music for Rocky. And then in retrospect, I realized that's the same thing that got a bunch of people in the theater for Rocky five. And so there's where your breakdown in logic occurs. It's not an egregiously bad movie. It's just a very bland one. Luke Perry's performance is fine, but there's absolutely nothing. I I mean, part of it may be that bull riding as a sport is just not something that's inspiring in any fashion. (laughs) I, I, Listen, I know that it's difficult. I know that there's a lot of, you know, I mean, I, I don't have, you know, I'm not going to get on a bull that's bucking around trying to kill me. Thank you. No, I, it's a hard pass. But like, I, I'm not, I, I'm not caring about what's happening on screen and everything has this air of inevitability about it. It really just is so by the numbers that you just sit there and my middle child actually was watching it with me. And it's a PG-13, it's some light language, but she was doing fine. And it was actually bad enough that it would, you know, she was a little bit bored. I was a little bit bored. And then a scene would come up and I'd go, ah, this is the scene where, and I would break down what was about to happen. And it happened. And I look, I'd look at her and say, see? And she's like, oh, this is good. And so she tapped out halfway through because she was kind of bored. And uh, I, uh, I wrote it out to the end. And the only two things that were really, I mean, again, Luke Perry's performance is fine. It was great to see George Michael, not the singer, but the legendary sportscaster who I grew up watching in the D.C. area, uh, immortalized on screen because he's one of the greatest sportscasters in history. And uh, over the end credits, they show the real guy that the movie's based on. So obviously this movie has some sort of really deep meaning for people. That's awesome. But it it's not resonant at all. It's just there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I I'm I'm down with that like even though I couldn't care less about bull riding. I mean I couldn't care less about boxing either and yet I'm totally invested in, you know, Rocky, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh fun fact whatever it's worth. John G. Avildsen was born in my hometown of Oak Park, Illinois. So there you go. Yeah, there you go. That's cool. (sighs) I guess so. Um, all right. So that leaves one more movie for this week. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, the movie, which was number three at the box office. Sugar Hill made $7.1 million and it has a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. And with good reason. Okay. So you saw this yeah. one too. I did. I did. Because again, I remembered the ads from back then. I said, this is the time to write the wrong and finally see Sugar Hill. Uh, it, the guy who wrote it, it's the uh, same guy who wrote New Jack City. Okay. So it seems natural that uh, Wesley Snipes is going to step into that. Apparently he read the script and was like, yeah, that guy, I'm going to be him. And the script really is in a very large sense minor spoiler well major spoilers here for new jack city if you haven't seen it yet but um imagine if his character survived new jack city this is this is basically a spiritual sequel to new jack city okay um but it is so disjointed as to be distracting it makes some very 
odd decisions about how to use flashback and at what point to use flashback. It actually feels like the flashback stuff that's used to explain his character in the first reel was inserted later because they thought that audiences weren't getting it in some way because it really doesn't feel like it belongs with the rest of the movie. Uh, there are some good performances in Abe Vigoda shows up um, as an aging mobster uh, who has a history with Wesley Snipes and his dad. Um, his dad is played by Clarence Williams III, who's, also so far in- as I'm concerned, always a treat to see on screen. And he gives a good performance. And he's in Deadfall, too. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. my gosh, that's right. I saw two Clarence Williams <laughs> movies. He has substantially more screen time in... Uh, in Sugar Hill and is put to better use. He's actually given a really moving scene near the end. Like it's, it's almost, it's the real shame of Sugar Hill is it seems to figure itself out right before it ends. Mm -hmm. And, but then it sort of blows that by having this obviously tacked on ending that the studio said, no, you need to put this on there because it's very obvious that the way that the movie originally ended a character Wesley Snipes' character dies and then all of a sudden he didn't and mm. he's just in a wheelchair with a kid kind of like it, uh the dude from GI Joe the movie because they didn't want to traumatize kids after they had traumatized them with Optimus Prime getting killed in Transformers the movie exactly okay. exactly yeah right. yeah well that's cool so Okay, sounds like this week, not very good all the way around. Only one that I saw was Deadfall. Didn't like it, although I would recommend people watch it. So maybe, hey, you know, maybe that's something. There's something to that. At the very least, we've unearthed a Nicolas Cage performance that is worth burning some time to see. Oh, yeah. Boy, it's nuts. Um, (laughs) Yes, it is. But yeah, what what would you say is the highlight of the week? Yeah, oh, no. Nicolas Cage is... Deadfall. Performance, yeah, okay. it is is the highlight. The best, most coherent movie uh, of the ones I saw goes to eight seconds. Okay, but still not worth watching. No, I'd still steer you toward Deadfall just to see Nick Cage. Okay. All right, well, next week we have a bunch of movies. Some small ones, some big ones. I'll just go down the list. Safe Journey. Where the Rivers Flow North, Sirens, China Moon, Angie, The Chase, and Greedy. Lots to choose from. Yes, I've seen one of those, and I will not watch it again. <laughs> You'll find I, out next week. I was, I was watching the trailers, and repeatedly I was like, ooh, that looks good. That's going to be my pick. And then the next trailer would come up, and I'd be like, ooh. That looks good. Uh, maybe I have to go with that one. And that just kind of kept on happening. I mean, not with all of them, but, you yeah. know, I was like, all right. There's some, you know, there's n- numerous movies here where, like, if I saw these trailers in the theater and they were brand new, I'd be like, I have to make sure that I, I get to a bunch of these. So. Well, we will uh, we will make sure that we share the, uh, the trailer list out there online. But uh, if anybody wants to harass you about... Uh, Deadfall, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles 
3K, where I felt kind of guilty when I was looking at my, you know, recently viewed things because I saw, <laughs> like, uh, these things I had, like, Black Klansman, four stars, Bohemian Rhapsody, three stars, and then sort of, like, bookending those, I had The Favorite <laughs> at two stars and Deadfall at two stars, and I'm like, well, there you go. You um, gave Deadfall two stars? <laughs> I did, because it was so entertaining, you know? And honestly... I've seen the favorite twice. I've seen Deadfall once, but I, if someone said like tomorrow, like you have to watch one of these two movies again, which one do you watch? I'm like Deadfall, <laughs> no doubt. Well, I I can tell you I gave it half star, but I would, I will watch it again at some point. I have a feeling. <laughs> so you can find me on, at Mumbles Three K and and on Letterboxd and on Twitter, uh, and you can also find me on trek.fm doing a show called tracks from the edge and on filmdamagepod.com doing a show called film damage yeah you can find me here uh, on the network co-hosting uh, aggressive negotiations a star wars podcast with matthew rushing and if you look for castle junkie on twitter goodreads or letterboxd that is where you will find me so until next time mike what bit of advice do we have for everyone be kind, rewind. Rewind.